Yeah, what do you think about when you run, right? Like what what comes to your head? And if you're spending, let's say, 10 hours a week running, clearly it's not just, you know, oh, what I'm going to race next time and my time and this and that. It's just like, what is, you know, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> cool. So but basically what you're saying is it it's going to get in there anyway, so we might as well just leave it. Well, we won't change the name from fanboys to woo boys like I had originally uh, thought. I think what we'll do is we'll just keep it at fanboys and we'll just wander around wherever we wander around. And um, folks can choose to come on the road with us or not. I mean, ultimately, we're not generating any revenue from this. We're not making any money. You and I, we're just talking because we like to talk. I'm not even going to be tracking how many people listen to us. If three people listen to us, awesome. If nobody listens to us, if 3,000 people listen to us, great. I don't, I don't really care. What I care about the most is having conversations with you, getting them on record, and then having the ability to reflect on that content over time and have people who are interested in these kinds of things find one place in the world where maybe people are talking about spiritual things, race results, how you move as a body through space, and all the other things that you and I are super interested in. We'll just say that the fanboys model is more focused on using competitive racing as a sounding board for where we go off and how we go off. Yeah, and then, you know, I I see this, this, this talks, our talks in podcast as as one piece of of a puzzle right your writing um is is another one and your coaching is another one and and then athletes is another one you know it's like whole thing so you you know that's where we're coming from right it's it's not just um all our our conversation wouldn't it's like doesn't make sense on its own right it's it's just part of this something bigger than that and more complete and and of course it's always <laughs> expanding right because it's our as as we kind of push one another like you push in training the same we push in conversation and then suddenly we oh why are we talking about that and you know and and going back to our what you mentioned our conversation last last week was and uh, that that we didn't record it was you know we, we started talking like uh, it, it's well we, the conversation started going because you know um, let's say i i am i'm still or we both trying to make our body um work in a perfect in a way or is meant to be um way like uh, from our foot up to you know and we, we are really passionate about it right and we have people that are passionate uh, about it and we, we just like how to master the, the physical part of it. And so we're buying books, we, we're signing up for courses. And then, but then meanwhile, as we were growing or, or still struggling with, with to master that, then you just becoming more, um, you know, woo kind of person. Cause you like, okay, what is the cause of it like what is it me is it like my identity is it not is it what is it right and then you try to separate because you can really just if you start identifying yourself as a pain let's say then you just like miserable it's like no i'm not pain i'm more than a pain i'm i'm you know i'm well my name is tomic but that's not really me either right it's like oh so who is me and then i go for a run and it's like yeah what what is going on yeah, it's interesting. I just read a post from a guy who I like to follow who writes about um, the body and 
His, his book is called Better Movement. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. But anyway, he just wrote uh, an essay on pain as sensation or pain as perception. And he swore he was never going to get into this area because there's all this disagreement within the community of, of practitioners, of you know physical therapists, um, and that kind of world about whether it's one or the other. And his view was, at the end of the day, you feel it. You feel it. So which is it, a chicken or an egg? It doesn't really matter. And you and I like to, though, piece apart whether it's a pain is a sensation or a perception. So folks may or may not, I bring that up just to say that we can get down in the weeds here and we can get off onto, you know, really long planks that we fall off into a deep ocean of strangeness. But we are thinking critically about how our bodies work how the bodies of the athletes that we watch and that we're such fans of work, how training affects the way our bodies operate when we're doing the running, how our brain, how our running affects our bodies and our minds and our souls outside of our experience in the mornings when we're running. We spend a lot of time thinking about how much time we get in the sun and whether we should take our shirts off, whether we should, you know, how we eat. One of the things we talked about in our conversation was what should we eat? How should we eat? What should we do? So I guess what we're saying is this Fanboys episode will be a typical Runnosis podcast in which we will go anywhere and everywhere, but we promise you each and every week we'll be bringing you some kind of content on what's going on in the track and field road running ultra running world because we do we are fans we love to watch it speaking of that i got to give a shout out to the longhorns <laughs> texas fight for winning the ncaa championship distance medley relay we just watched it it was a phenomenal race to watch um shout out to creighton carosa paul and sheila carosa's son who was the critical well, I would say the 400-meter leg was critical because they got them back into contention. And then Carosa made a big push, a lap out, or just before a lap out, about, you know, probably about 300 meters, 250 meters out to really put them in a position where they were clear and free. And it let this freshman phenom, Yassine Abdallah, who ended up closing out the mile for them, true freshman from Maryland. This guy won the Big 12 championships in the 5,000 meters, ran unbelievably fast and just looked we were we were talking about it we had seen the result unfortunately before we watched the race and so when we watched the race we were like what look at this kid's mechanics i mean the the great i forget his name how do you say nagus how, how do you say the guy from uh, um notre dame's name yeah jared nagus jared nagus he was the everybody expected him to be the prohibitive favorite because he's been the best miler high school, best college miler for the last year and a half although I think that there, there might be one or two people who were disagreeing with that. But he well, definitely, uh, you know, made the Olympic team. <laughs> he did make the Olympic team, and he was in. You know, he's he gets the baton right around where Yassine gets the baton. They're really, really close together. And of course, the commentators, Dwight Stones, he's like, "Oh, watch this Notre Dame for the win." But we know Nagus had a really challenging conference meet, and anytime you get kicked in the teeth like that. Anytime you quit, and he didn't quit, but anytime you have an experience where you have an expectation and you come away with it, with it not turning out the way you expected, that's a trauma. And traumas have a way of continuing to creep in the psyche of the athlete. 
I think this is something people don't talk about enough, that when you fail in a way where you had an expectation and then you don't achieve that expectation, there's a rupture of reality in that space in which you said, my intention creates this result. And someone like Nagus, who's done this over and over again, I mean, he's made an Olympic team to have that experience right before this race. Of course, I see it and I'm like, I don't guarantee, I don't think there's a guarantee that Nagus wins this thing. But the way that Yassine, the Texas kid, freshman, raced that race, you just saw raw talent, unbelievable raw talent. He was jogging at the paces when they were running. I mean, what they ended up with, the 355 final splits, I think all of them were in that 355, really? 357 range. He didn't look like it. Yeah, but they're just jog he looks like yeah. he's just jogging. He looks like he's just jogging. And then and then he when he does move, it's ugly. I mean, when he does move, it's ugly. He was not a beautiful last four hundred. He was I mean, it his upper body is struggling and working, and yet he still finds a way to get to the finish line, stay ahead of everybody, win it. Um, and you know, nobody expected Texas to win that. Um and they had a you know, the kid that they had run that opening leg, Cruz, I think his name is, he 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 they weren't all the way out of it but it was that 400 leg that got them there anyway then we we then watch so i just wanted to give kudos to the longhorns did you have anything you wanted to share about that dmr anything that you that came to mind for you i mean it, it, you said it well it, it it came up so perfect because you mentioned carosa yeah he he didn't he didn't um he didn't put longhorns on the lead which put actually he he handed uh, a second you know um for the for the for the last leg and which was perfect because because whoever the 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 team was leading Wisconsin Wisconsin um, Texas just the the kids sit on him it was just perfect he didn't have to do anything just pretty much for four laps which is half the race he was just sitting and just enjoying the the ride you know it was perfect yeah um that that five k though I mean. <laughs> unbelievable race it starts off with uh wesley kip from iowa state who everyone thought him to be the prohibitive favorite although just for reference yasin abdullah the kid we just talked about who won the dmr for the longhorns did put kip in his place at their conference championships not two weeks before destroying him in a 5,000 meters again small ruptures and traumas that occur then kip goes out in this race Tomac and leads the first 400 in 58, 57, 58 seconds. That's What's right. he think? What, what, what were you thinking when you saw that? I, I mean, everyone says, well, that's what Keep2 does. But then, unfortunately, <laughs> Keep2 has a record, right, of, of just blowing up. And it's, I'm, I'm guessing 50 50. You know, you don't know if, if this is this Keep2 that will hold on or, or not. And it, it's kind of. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, what he's thinking and what his coaches are thinking. Maybe coaches telling him to run different race, but he just know I, I feel comfortable on the front and let's see who is, you know, let, let's let's race from the gun. And it's, it's silly, you know, but yeah, Northern Arizona boys um, just just above the everyone else, it seems. Yeah, they're, they're training um, at altitude. They have an unbelievable system with Mike Smith, who actually is the coach now of Galen Rupp. And he has, you know, he he was at um, Georgetown for a while. Over about five years ago, he moved to Northern Arizona, um, and he has just been unbelievable. Now, Northern Arizona was already rolling when he got there, so he inherited um, a program that had made big changes and had developed into a powerhouse. Of course, that location—if anybody has ever been to Flagstaff, you see why. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere. 
of of uh, in, in in the northern uh, you know in the United States or in Canada when you look for altitude training you go everybody goes to Flagstaff so they are in the perfect place to train um, and Mike Smith has just developed a powerhouse program there that is just unbelievable rolling out performance after performance and about what about two miles into this race uh, the kid from um, Northern Arizona. What's his name? Abdi Noor. Abdi Noor takes the lead and just imperceptibly stretches the field lap by lap, meter by meter, getting away, getting away. And you don't even really notice that he's gone because they start lapping people until that last two laps to go, 400 meters to go, and he's gone. And he, that last two laps, Tomek, he was waving at the crowds, kissing babies, <laughs> jogging through. And he ran... 1319 jogging his last 400 meters all he did was look over his shoulder a few times just to ensure that the guy who was fast closing freshman from stanford fast closing freshman from stanford stanford kind of came up um he just stayed away from him got through to the finish line that is going to set up for an unbelievable 3k tonight i'm excited to watch the texas kid the um nor the uh, Northern Arizona kid, but also don't count out Nico Young. Nico Young went with Kip Two on that first 400, probably shot himself in the foot a little bit there, stayed up on that curve, and that 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 relentless pace early on probably probably affected his ability, whereas we saw Newer set way back over that first 800 meters or so. He was back in 10th, 15th place, slowly made his way up to the front, ran a beautiful, beautiful race. And if you think about that, I mean, these guys are not doing, he ran 13, 19, without pacers, indoors, in a race that he just self-regulated, moved around, moved around, and jogged in. I mean, I, my view is, you said that he's an American citizen. If he's an American citizen, look for that kid to make the Olympic, to make the world championship team. I mean, I don't know, the way I watched him running, if he can hold that form and hold that strength, it was, he is, a, it is beautiful. I don't know that I have seen a more gorgeous mechanics in a runner in a long, long time. It was just absolutely from start to finish. As soon as he comes out there, you'd mentioned it before. You said you saw him run a, earlier and you were like, whoa, this guy's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. That was when, when he first started at NAU and uh, yeah, just, just the perfect body and, and the movement and you just like, ah, oh. and he wasn't performing then because he was not strong enough, you know, but you, you could see that once, you know, he's under Mike Smith and, and in flag stuff, it's, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of, of Grant Fisher as we can maybe switch topics, um, um, who just broke the American records and, and how he c came to Bowerman Track Club and, and kind of struggle, you know, was thrown on the deep water. And then he just like, well, <laughs> this is how pros and, and uh, top athletes in the world train and you, you, you just you just make your way up and he he you know i don't know steve if you listen to his interview uh, on uh, let's run um uh, was published yesterday it was just beautiful he, he says you know my my first year with the team I, I would come home after practice and laying on the floor for a couple hours because i just couldn't do anything and then just slowly 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 just just becoming stronger athlete and just beautiful and and then you know um, grant fisher the way he talks is just that's another kid that that for many years to come he will be just just the face of our sport you know just well spoken just open and intelligent and just also hard working you know kind of simple but kind of kind of kind of everything you know yeah it's a he's an all-american boy 
you might say. That, that's, the, that's the sort of cliche term that we use in the U.S. sometimes. He's an all-American boy, and they don't, he's got jug ears. He's got big old ears. His yeah. hair's short on the sides. He's, he's incorrigible. He's this unbelievably happy attitude. He does, you're wondering, does he, does he even get angry? You know, if you cut him off on the highway, does he say, oh, go on, take a spot? Or does he get really right? Like, he is that kind of guy that you don't, he doesn't, he doesn't look like he has that edge. But obviously, the way he races, he has an edge. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, before we transition away from the NCAA championships indoors on the women's side, um, there were two other races that had finals. The women's 5,000 meter had a final. Um, it was won by a girl from BYU. And I don't know if you follow the women's track and field, uh, collegiate track and field, but, and, and cross country, but what's been going on at BYU on the women's side has just been unbelievable over the last year or two years. The, the coach that's there, they obviously have something going, they have something rolling. They've been unbelievably successful. They won the NCAA championships in cross country. They've come back with uh, last year world championships. One of the girl, I mean, at the, at the Olympic um, trials, one woman, one of the girls made the Olympic team. I'm not remembering their names right now. And unfortunately I don't have them written down, but I just wanted to note that keep your eyes on all those women coming through that tree of BYU. You know, they, on the men's side, BYU has been very, very successful with that eye stone for many, many years. And on the women's side, it hadn't been as successful. Um, you just have one off or two off athletes. But what they've got going now, they've got a train rolling and it is rolling really, really strongly. Expect to see women coming out of that program and being in contention for Olympic teams for sure. Now, one of the things about BYU and all of that, the, the, they're a Mormon school. And so these kids are coming through this system two years older than everybody else. So they're a lot more akin to what you might see for the world, the the transfer students that come from Kenya or Ethiopia or Somalia or even even on even Europe where you've got athletes coming in, transferring in who maybe are a little bit older, a little more seasoned, have a little more experience. You definitely have folks who are a little bit older there. Um, whether that makes a difference or not, I'm not entirely sure. Personally, I don't think it matters. Um, it might matter if I had a if I were a freshman girl and I was looking at racing against a junior girl who was actually basically five four years older than me or five years older than me. But ultimately, what we talk about and how we're talking about is this long term progression. We we're excited by the NCAA championships. The NCAA championships really we look at them as this sort of preliminary phase to an athlete's long term development. When you look at a Cole Hawker, you're like, okay, he came through the collegiate system as a flash came run right through it and then and then and then leaves and comes back out whereas Nagus who we just talked about he stayed in his program he could easily have gone pro he made an Olympic team he stayed in his program and again this shows the vagarity do you, when do you choose to go pro because Nagus now his value has gone way down in terms of that cha-ching cha-ching cheddar make the money kind of thing does it matter to him probably not Will it all work out in the end for him? I'm certain he'll find a way to get through all that. But anyway, I'm rambling and rambling. But my, my main point is just saying, we are excited about the NCAA championships and we talk about it a little bit because we want to give you an idea as we go through the next year, two years. So we're progressing through the world championships this year into the Olympic games next year. Names we're talking about right now, like Noor, um, you're going to hear us keep talking about them. And we're, and we're watching the NCAA championships because that's where we see the next greats come through. Um, on the women's side with the DMR, another great performance by Lance Harder's um, Razorbacks. They won another title. This guy, he's a, he's been doing this for a long, long time, and he has unbelievable success with the middle distance girls. He doesn't always get the most talented kids to come to his program, but he develops them unbelievably, and they're always in the mix in the middle distances. You've got them in the 8, the 15 mile. 
in the DMR, they're always really, really competitive. So I just wanted to do a hat tip to Lance Harder and the Lady Razorbacks because, man, they that was a great win for him. You know, they won the NCAA Indoor Championships, I think, two years ago before the COVID, right before COVID, I believe. Um, and what a what a what a great coach and what a great program. And um, you're, you'll see them those athletes also performing at at the next level. So. Where do we want to go from here? Well, did you did you ever consider them as as a high schooler? Me? Yeah. Of course, I thought about the Razorbacks. I was John McDonald was the head coach yeah, there. Yeah, they, yeah. they were definitely where I would have loved to have gone, but I didn't get recruited by them. So, okay, okay. Um, I was recruited by uh, a number of other schools. Chose Texas, ran at Texas, and you know, at, at one point in time, John McDonald did say to me that I was a I was a I was a hog kind of guy. Right. But, uh, and I thought about transferring. There was one little window. He never, I was never approached by that. It wasn't the same as it is these days. It was very, we didn't know the inner workings of the collegiate system the way the kids do now. You yeah. don't know how much freedom and flexibility you have. You couldn't just send an email, right? Correct. I couldn't send just an email. And it would have been, and, and basically the Longhorns and the Razorbacks, we were, we were mortal enemies um, across yeah. the board. We played, we were in the Southwest Conference. That was before the Big 12s and the um, SEC split off. And so they were our they were our rivals, especially in track and field. They were our rivals, more of our rival than the Aggies were, for sure. Oh wow! Um, and they were better. I mean, they won national championship after national championship. I mean, I mean, I think John McDonald's the winning mo the winningest track and the winningest track and field coach for sure. Perhaps the winningest coach in history because, of course, we are three sports in indoor, outdoor, and cross country, and he was really successful in those. So yeah, I I did think about that about going there, but I ended up staying at Texas because. I had a team. I had brothers in arms, man. You know, and I felt like my coach, like if I go to another system, what's going to happen? Right? I had just started to. F my coach's program was definitely high volume and was well. It's like what Grant's talking about, where you at first you get beat up, at first you get really really tired. But why would I want to go and transfer to another system when I knew I had the goods? I thought I could win a national championship. I didn't end up winning. I ended up getting third and fifth at the NCAA championships. But you know, I thought why not ride this horse and stay with it? And I did, and it turned out to be great. I'm glad I didn't end up going to school there. Um, I'm proud to be a Longhorn. So it's a, it's a, it, but yes, I did think about it. Yeah, cool. Oh, well, one more thing about BYU, when you were talking about um, the, the women team, you know what, it made me think, you know, um, the women team started, started blossoming, um, you know when when the the, the coach you know T.J. Taylor um, stepped in and she started you know we, we started learning her style being very personal making notes to athletes and just doing a lot of one on one kind of you know making team is going to get the manicure or do this and that and you know it made me think the system worked the way the, the the Mormon religious kind of strict thing for for men maybe and maybe women actually needed this this kind of more relaxed because you know the coach the TJ Taylor she's not she's not practicing Mormon which is kind of kudos to the school that let let her be there and and coach maybe they they recognize that 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 actually maybe it's okay or for the for the better you know have that little mix and maybe actually women seems to maybe responding better to that little touch, you know, not so strict, more personal, and there's more to to it than just, just uh, you know, no, we're doing this way and, and don't ask questions, right? Yeah, I don't think people really understand the collegiate, what, how to be successful as a collegiate coach. You look at it at the outside and you think, oh, 
that person can coach anywhere. It's not true. You have to have the right person in the right place at the right time. These things are important. And the right, that same person in a different place, TJ Taylor in a different place, might it might not work. It might just be the right person in the right place at the right time. And I think that's crucial and critical. There are personalities for sure. But we were just talking about, um, we were talking about Mike's, we were talking about um, the, Jerry Schumacher and his coach uh, was Martin Smith at Wisconsin. And Martin has coached all over everywhere. He's, he's coached at, he's at Iowa State right now with Kip Two. He was at Oklahoma for a while, um, but he was at Wisconsin before that. And that's where Wisconsin's men's team got to have such great reputation. Um, and it's funny because he's not having the same success at Iowa State. With an influx of, of foreign athletes, American athletes and foreign athletes, that he had at Wisconsin. So there's nothing wrong with Martin Smith. Martin Smith is a really good coach. Now, he is a little bit crazy. People definitely, he has an idiosyncratic style that is very, only would work with boys, or I mean with men, and it would it only works for some men. It's, it's a confrontational, challenging, extremely um, mercurial situation. But at Wisconsin, in the late 80s, early 90s, it was absolute magic. And it created unbelievable success in that window of which we look at Jerry Schumacher and he comes off that Martin Smith, what I call a coaching tree, meaning that there's a coaches ahead of those coaches and they all kind of filter off of their, um, their program based on a pedigree. And we, those of us who coach, we are very much influenced by who our root coaches were. And you look at what the success that Jerry Schumacher is having unbelievable success, right? And he comes off of that Martin Smith tree. So I just wanted to highlight that what TJ Taylor is doing is because she's a great coach, but TJ Taylor transfers and goes to you know, Wisconsin or she goes to Oregon or she goes somewhere else because they're looking for a different program, a different person. Doesn't necessarily mean that her system's going to work there. And um, frequently it doesn't. So it's just a happy, these, these wonderful, happy synchronicities, these happy accidents that happen not only with the will of the athlete, the talent of the athlete, the teammates the athlete has surrounding them at the collegiate level, and then the coach that sort of drives the train and keeps the train rolling like they've got going on at Texas right now. They're running, the men are running unbelievably well under Pete Watson. They're doing really, really well because he's got a head coach who understands the sport at the highest level, and he lets them roll with his kids, right? He lets them work, and he creates a a kind of symbiotic relationship within the community here in Austin. He has uh, athletes that are come from Texas and also from across the country. And you've just got somebody who's in the right place at the right time doing things that really, really work. You know, it's just, it's, now there is something special about the Texas men's program having been part of that, right? It has had multiple coaches come through that system and done unbelievable things. So, uh, there is something special in the water here, I will definitely say. At least I, I happen to be biased in that regard. But I do think that you do have to have the right coach sit in that right place. We have Jason Vigilani, you got John Hayes, now you have Pete Watson. You've got incredible pedigree in that program. And, uh, you know, it, 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 but for a little while there, it wasn't very good from the time that Coach V, I mean, Coach uh, Huntsman left at Texas and retired. There was a window of a couple of years there where Texas was not performing because they didn't have the right people in the right place. They didn't have the right environment. But once Coach Vigilante got there, he was the right guy in the right place. And by the way, Coach Vigilante, his athlete at Princeton was the one who was holding off Yassine at 
in the NCAA championship DMR final. And they were going shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe, banging into, literally banging into each other with 400 meters to go. You see a former coach at Texas challenging with everything he has, the current coach at Texas, but that's not really what's happening. It's really happening between those boys, those men, those men out there doing the work. So, But, but Texas had a, t- um, the, the record, right, with uh, undercode vigilante, right? Yeah, they set the world record in right, the DMR. Right, right. Yeah, that, yeah was exactly. with, that was with that unbelievable team that yeah. had Jake Morris. I don't know the 400 under leg. I don't remember who the 400 leg, but it was Jake Morris. Um, and then, of course, the great anchor of Leo Manzano, who unbelievable athlete. Probably the, the, best, tech male, the best male Texas Longhorn athlete of all time, it was silver medalist. You know, we'll Argub, give you that. Arguably, should be should be Olympic gold medalist, right? Um, just just lost to to what's his name, the Algerian Algerian guy, the, the uh, uh, Makloufi. Makloufi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah, we're um, we're probably gonna cobble this particular episode together with our first episode that we did. Um, so. Before we go, though, what are you looking forward to? We've got the men's and women's NCAA championships finishing up today, so we won't actually be able to give you insight on that until next week or the week after. Excited to see what happens and what plays out there. But what other things are you excited that you've got that we've got coming up? Well, I wanna, I wanna just, um, um, you know, last last week was that that Big Ten when 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 I mentioned, you know, the, the American record was set in the ten k. And you know it's a, it's a different type of thing w- which kind of came up during COVID, which is damn the- I forgot we have got we haven't even talked about that race yet, have we? <laughs> which is the pay per view kind of track and field, you know, which you know uh, Sound Running and and Tracklandia and all I think those two guys they just you know I, I like that model because you know they they show you exactly you know how much money goes to athletes and and you know because like six seven bucks it's just kind of you know a couple cups of coffee and then you you can watch truck and field and and support that way and then you know i don't need to worry about 30 bucks a month subscription cancel subscription blah 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 yeah just like let me just watch the track track and field you know and and so i'm looking forward to to meets like that you know they actually hosted meet here in austin last last year and it was a little bit too hard for running fast but you know i i like the kind of that kind of uh you know New new model in a way, right? It's a one-off, right? Yeah, it's a exactly. one-off. Yeah. The really cool thing about that sound running race was that it was originally scheduled to run on Saturday, but it was a little bit too windy. The conditions weren't perfect. The conditions weren't ideal. And so because they were the only ones doing it, they didn't have all this infrastructure, too much infrastructure all around it. They were able to be nimble and shift it to the next day where they had absolutely perfect weather. What was like 47 degrees, no wind, and unbelievable performances, which we should just mention that because we did see <laughs> unbelievable performances and you know you and I disagreed a little on our conversation about when we talked about it the other day you said I mean we all we did we initially were just glowing about what happened in the men's race but I kind of put my foot down and said I don't think the men's race was the most impressive race certainly not the single most impressive performance but give me a little bit of feedback tell, tell us tell our listeners what happened on in that in that men's race and and what how, line it up for them set it up and give them an idea of of what was what were they were trying to accomplish maybe that's a good way to start like what was what was the sound running trying to get done with that event they were obviously trying to set up a fast time and Talk a little bit about it because you said, "Oh, this is a great way to do this. This is a great way to for the consumer, for the for the fan to consume it." But what about the presenting of it and what we actually consumed? Like, what was that 
What was going on? Set the stage a little bit for what was going on with that race. Well, clearly they were approached by by the by by the Bowerman Truck Club team, and and you know, as a, look, we we want to we want to attack American records, 10K, right? And um, you you can bring other events if you want, but but those are the main ones, right? We we bring athletes, we bring uh, pacers, and you. Um, ideally set up the the pacing lights which is the another new technology you know that the athletes can follow that you can set up whatever you want faster slower as the race goes on and and so it you know that really i learned a lot listening to grant fisher interview which which pretty much the conversation about that american record attempt and 5k records that we talked before uh, came in November, you know, pretty much um, they said, well, look, we can go indoor track season both ways. You can, you, we can just focus on the world championships and be competitive. Or I believe you guys, you Grant Fisher can, can attack American records. And he says like, okay, that let's do that. Right. Indoor, not, not as important. And let's do that. So then was the top. So that's vision, right? That's a vision. There's a vision there. Yeah. There's an idea that a coach has. Jerry says, hey, look at what we see out here. I've watched this many, many years in a row. And what I see is a group of guys who may have the opportunity to break an American record. He had three guys there. You got Woody Kincaid, yeah. Mo Ahmed, and Grant Fisher Grant training Fisher. at a very, very high level. Mo Ahmed, Olympic medalist. Grant Fisher, fifth at the Olympics in the 10,000, but moving strong, obviously feeling his oats and turning on really, really well. And then Woody Kincaid, who a lot of, maybe a lot of people don't know, but he won the U.S. championships in the 10,000, defeating um, Grant Fisher and everybody else in that field. Looked so amazing, that last 200 meters. So, you know, you've got three amazing athletes and you had a coach watching it, but they all step back a little while. This is how this stuff works, guys. The, the, the devil is in the details. The coach sits back and says, I see something really, really magical happening. Yeah, on a, on and then a, gives the athlete an option. Yes, what do you want to do? Yes. And the athletes decide because then you've got the intentionality, the buy-in, and then they go, they go hard to the paint. They go hard in the paint. This is the really, really important thing. You want, you have to have that vision to know that you can make that happen. Yeah, and on the women's side, there's there's also um, Elise Elise Cranny, right, and Carissa Schweitzer, but she's she's currently coming out of uh, injury, so she was not full force yet. Um, so. Yeah, so the two races, right? And and um, um, so everything led to it, the training and, and, and preparation. And you could hear, you know, Grant mentioning, you know, they, they go and work and, and you think they're robots, but they're not because, you know, they, they would run 1K and 2K repeats with the, with the pace they want to run for the race. And they're like turning their heads, like how on earth we're going to... You know, glue this together, and and you know, and and they, it's like, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. It looks easy when they perform, but it's not easy. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, like, all of our listeners can appreciate that because how many times have you done work to get ready for a marathon? Yeah, um, especially yeah. marathoners, they do this. This happens all the time with the athletes that I work with. We will do some portion of work at marathon pace. And they'll walk away, maybe they'll do 10 miles of work at marathon pace. And they'll walk away and go, that was really hard. And I have no idea how I'm going to run 26.2 <laughs> miles. And as a coach, do you know what I say? Don't worry, you don't have to today. Today, all you needed to do was 10 miles at this pace and we'll we'll cobble it together. That's not your job. That, that's the that. coach's job to figure out how to get you ready for that. You just keep believing that is possible. And I'll keep, we'll keep putting together the work to help you get to that place. Yeah, I love that phrase. You don't have to today, yeah. 
Okay, I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah, so the race itself, the men's race, was really, really... It's, it's, and it's a lot of ways, it's kind of boring to watch races like that if you're not a super fan like us. It's not something that I can... And I will link um, that... Is, that I will make links to all this stuff in the show notes for those of you who don't want to go running around the internet trying to find it. Although you probably only have to go to Let's Run and you can find it somewhere. But I'll, I'll make it really clean for people to be able to look and watch and listen to this information. But you may not want to watch all of that race. It's, it would take a super fan to sit there in the, fan, in the stands um, or to to pay that money to watch two 10,000 meter races. We, we appreciate that. But it is, um, the way the race plays out is really kind of interesting because they've got multiple pacers lined up. They've got this lighting system that's now in, in play. We've now seen it now for a few years. It's being used, it was used with Cheptegei's world record when he set the world record in the 5,000 um, on the outdoor track. It was used in the most recent women's 10,000 meter record being broken. It's being used, and and it's and it's 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 it is an, an incredible aid to this to to their performance. But they did also have pacers, so you, you don't want to just use a mechanical little light blinking in front of you to tell you where you're at. That there's not a lot of soul there. They have real people out there doing work, pulling off. They had a, they had a they had Woody Kincaid who was not quite feeling 100. percent Basically, it was his job to get them through to about, what was it, 7K? 7K. 7K? Actually, you know, the, uh, the discussion was coach wanted Woody to race, and Woody said, no, I want to pace. And uh, eventually, runner... Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they get to 7K when they step off, and then it's two guys um, working together because they're teammates, working together because they're not actually competing for the same thing because there was only one objective that day to get an American record. And then for Mo Ahmed, who's a Canadian to get a Canadian record of which he already owned that record. Right. Yeah. So, but it was, they were working together and not even to take each other's thing away. But of course, as people will be people and athletes will be athletes, somebody wants to win. Right. And right. that race over the last K really was interesting because Grant went to the front and did some work. Um, and, and, you know, and I looked at it, I was like, oh, Grant just cow kicked him at the end, but it didn't play out that way with a K to go. Grant was at the front, pushing the pace, pushing the pace. And then he faltered a little bit. And then Mo came up and around him. What was it about? 300 meters. He just blasts blows by him him and it looks like Grant's done and it's finished. And, you know, and it looks at that point in time, I was still pretty sure that, that, that Grant was going to get the American record. They were definitely under it, but it looked like it it was, Mo was going to get the win and that it was going to play out the way it normally plays out. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, because at, at, at probably till 8K, as, as, as they were talking, they, they really pay attention to pace. But once they started racing a bit with one another, they just completely forget about the times. And that's what really pushed them to the 2630s, you know? Because otherwise they could be like, oh, we're fine, we're safe. But like, no, 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 no. I want to beat you. You want to beat me. Let's blah. And then when they ended up, what happened they just look at the clock and they're like what yeah 26 30. yeah <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool so we so we had both right we had we had this time trial and then we had racing just came so close and actually me personally the same i was so so kind of my attention was in this into this racing that i just just forgot looking at the clock and it was kind of the same shock you know yeah it's that experience <laughs> that you have that we always see where we've seen it in usain bolt we've seen it we saw it with Michael Johnson when he broke the world record in the 200. When they come across the line and those athletes see the time that's on it. And there, it is that moment of pure expression, of yeah. absolute joy, of having a result that is beyond what they expected, 
but yet they had some expectation, right? So they were, they're strong enough and powerful enough to be in the position to take that. So they had the intention to break a world record or to get a thing. But then when they look over and they see the actual time, it's so far beyond what they thought what happened that day, or maybe even what was possible in some cases, that you get this unbelievable joy, this incredible response that I think as a human beings, when we see that, this is why the, these, these images are on the media everywhere, because we deeply resonate with that sense of surprise and joy and incredulousness that happens when somebody breaks a world record like that. It's just it's just etched on their faces and their expressions. Yeah, and the, and the, exactly. But what what's what's kind of stands out for me from that race or, or the interview Grant Fisher gave was was the wisdom of coach again that the knowledge of of coaches confidence um, for the athletes because. Um, before the race, when they were talking about how to, what time they should set up those lights, right? Uh, coach said, we're going to set it up for 26.44, which is the American record that, that Galen Rapp owned it, right? And Grant Fisher thought was, no, let's set it up for maybe 26.55 and we'll kick it and we do the record, right? Kind of like he did in Boston. But the but the coach's mind was, no, we're going to set up for 26.44 and then you will kick it out of this and you're going even faster, which that's what happened, right? <laughs> because yeah, but they, they really went halfway or even until 7K at exactly 26.44. So coach knew they are in 26.44 pace, easy. I mean, easy, not easy, but they can do it and then they're going to compete and they're going to kick it. Yeah, one so of the tough things about being a coach though is you make these kinds of judgment calls and you make these kinds of decisions. And in the women's race, it turned out to be exactly coach Schumacher made a decision. And I think it was coach Schumacher's decision. I don't know. There was a, there was some discussion about where Shalane was with this process because Shalane is definitely helping with the women's team yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think she's helping with the whole team, but she's definitely being more proactive in her yeah. now that she's retired and she's focusing on coaching. It definitely feels like she's being groomed for a position, but it seemed like this was Jerry's decision about what they were going to do in terms of pacing. So they set it up to break the American record, which is held by Molly Huddle, 3013 or 30, right? 3013. And they were setting it up, and Lee's Cranny is in an unbelievable shape and, and mean, has yeah, that, been in an incredible shape. And he sets it up to have her run at 3016, because in this case, he thinks that the girl will kick it in because Elise has a tendency to kick at the end of races. So he sets it up for 13, 30, 16. And I know the understanding. I get it. He wants to not make that. It might think third, three seconds over 25 laps around a track, but it makes a difference, especially because Elise's race. And this is why I think this race might've been more impressive than the men's. Yep. She was solo at like three K, which is opposite to men, right? Correct. The exact opposite. She had to run seven K completely by herself yeah. with none of that. And, and, and literally just using that little light in front of her. So basically Jerry puts a virtual rabbit in front of her at 3016, making that decision. And she stays with the rabbit and she pushes very, very hard to stay with it because she has no other reference, nobody else to work with. This is, um, I cannot tell you as a coach and as an athlete, the level of performance tells me, at least Cranny, everybody needs to watch the fuck out. This girl, <laughs> that is not only mental toughness, it is a will and a desire that breaks 
that does not compute. There's no need for it. Now, they could argue that Galen's record is a more impressive record than Molly's, isn't there? I do see that the women's 10K record is likely to be definite. I think the women in the next two years will be under 30 minutes, for sure. Yeah, on the, yeah. on the Americans will be. Because they're going to have to to compete, and it feels like Americans are now competing. But at least, anyway, just going back to Elise's race, I just, um, um, I'm, I was gobstopped, gobstopped, awestruck by her performance. And, but here's the sad part. She follows the, the light, follows the plan, does her best. She cannot kick it in. She's, she's exhausted. She's breaking the wall. About two laps to go. About, she started falling. She started behind. to fall back yeah. a little bit and she couldn't. Yeah. And so she rallied. She did kick, but she fell off the pace. No. And so when she finishes, this is the point, she finishes ahead of the light. Yeah. But Coach Schumacher had set the light three seconds shy. So she was two seconds off or two or one or two seconds off of the American record. And you would expect her to be devastated. She, that girl wasn't. One second off. That girl wasn't devastated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she was upset. There's probably some significant money out there. Yeah. There was probably all kinds of other things. But she has got to walk off that track and just be like chest thumping knowing. I mean, ultimately, I don't. Solo I think 30 minutes, every right? single yeah. woman who saw that event who's going to be in the 10,000 should be scared. Yeah. They, they, you, there is a prohibitive favorite in the 10,000 meters. The other thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is why wasn't, why, what's the name of the steeplechaser who's in their program? Who, uh, the yeah. Courtney. Courtney. Yeah. Courtney. Why did she not help? Because she ends up running, I don't know, 30, 45 or something like that. She gets a 10K, the 10K standard to make it to the, to, but she's a steeplechaser and she's the best steeplechaser we have. I mean, I definitely, she and Coburn are going to make the Olympic team. I mean, unless they're injured or some terrible thing falling over thing. So she's not going to be a 10,000 meter runner. It just goes to show that, um, it, 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 I don't know. To me, that seems like what Woody did, Courtney should have done. Could have, maybe it would have helped Elise. I think it probably would have helped her. I don't know. But, but we don't really, I mean, I coached women at the collegiate level and at the pro level. They're different. They're different. They're made of a different stuff. The men love them, but the men need each other. The men need the men to feedback loop off of. Women, when it comes down to it, yeah, they like the vibe of each other. Yeah, they like each other. They're more ruthless, more tough, more focused. And I don't know if it's where, where, where that comes from, what it is culturally. I don't know if it's the fact that they're, they've got, I mean, there's a lot of different things it could possibly be. I'm not going to go into all of them, but it is not super surprising to see somebody on the women's side do that. Where on the men's side, if you see that, it's more shocking. Um, and it just goes to point out what I believe, which is women are comparatively better distance runners than men are, in my opinion. I, I'm, I'm not, um, I don't deny, I, don't, I think that that's true. And if you look at Sifan Hassan's performances at the Olympic Games that we saw last year, I mean, I don't know how you say that. There's no way under the, any circumstance that any man could have won all three of those. And she did not win all three, but she could have won all three. And the women's 15 at the world level is unbelievably, it is, it is as competitive as the men's is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's what's her name? Uh, Kipiegon, Faith yep. Kipiegon, yes, that's just, she's one of, I mean, she will break 350 this year, you know, the women will, and. Well, and the, and I mean, right there, I mean, what kind of year? Did the Scottish girl? What's her name? Um, uh, Laura Muir. Laura Muir. That she had. She had a not so great year before that, or right right before COVID. She went in not as tough. She came out of that one. I thought Laura Muir 
I mean, she, I mean, Faith Kipyegon is just unbelievable, but Laura Muir was ferocious last year. So we're going to go into a world. I mean, this is what we're saying, guys. We're so excited to get fanboys back up and started because we have, we're seeing, we mentioned this in the last episode, which I'm going to cobble together to put together with this. We're seeing something special going on in the sport of track and field right now. Um, and it's not just the shoes and it's not drugs. It's something happened with COVID. I, Tomek and I both agree on this. We have this theory that something happened in that pause that made everybody realize we are doing this for something other than the money and the fame. We're doing this because it's worth doing. And when you take it away from me, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to have to go and be a businessman or businesswoman. I'm going to have to go and be a father or a mother. I'm going to have to go and move into another phase of my life. There seems to be a level of um, hunger that, especially on the American side, we haven't seen in a long time, whether that's coming from the level of the world, world level kind of dropping or coming even, or whether that's because the collegiate athletes we're seeing come through the system that are so incredibly talented. And I mean, we just watched that men's 5,000 and you had two freshmen, multiple freshmen performing at the very, very top of the NCAA level. And Nagoose getting kicked out the back and Cole Hawker who's gone and the other guy who from Oregon who's gone they both went pro right so you had two other freshmen Cooper Tier Cooper Tier you have two other freshmen who should have been in that mix so what you're looking at is the 20 year old men in the United States between between 19 and 22 are at least as good as the Grant Frischers and the Mohameds and everybody else we just they just need the time to get there and it's an exciting time to be an American distance yeah. running fan. And um, hopefully you guys are getting, we are excited. Hopefully you guys catch this bug, whether we've got 10 of you listening or we have 10,000 listening, it doesn't really matter to us. We, we hope you enjoy it because we're just going to keep bringing it to you. And it's funny, you, you, you mentioned what I'm looking uh, forward to and I'm just completely blinked and now I'm remember next weekend are uh, world championships indoor <laughs> oh yeah it's like it just keeps coming at you and coming at you and then when we have outdoor and then we have outdoors where we start to see you know we got a little pause before we get to the diamond league races hey, and kipchoge won <laughs> oh yeah and kipchoge won yep again unbelievable i mean he ran the third fastest time in history not that that in the, the first being his own the second being um the time of uh the yeah. the goat right uh, the not the marathon goat but the distance running goat and they missed the course a bit just a few seconds but they didn't didn't bother he just yeah i mean again we could we can mention this real quickly yeah. we've got a little bit of time and Ily, i mean you were like poo-pooing Ilya kipchoge the other day when we were talking because you were like i mean I, i'm just giving no, you a I'm little just, I'm, I'm just poking I'm just at taking, you just taking for granted which i shouldn't you we know, do take like, him yeah, for granted yeah, yeah. we take him for granted and i i mean i think it's important to say what you just saw in any other distance running milieu any other time in distance running everyone would be like oh my god this guy he's older than dirt and he's still the fastest in the world and the only one who can get anywhere close to him is the craziest man, the craziest distance runner we've ever seen who just can't seem to get it all together, the great Bikaley, who maybe by the time things come back around, he'll be back to get a, a to get, almost get a world record. But Ilya Kipchoge is the master. There's undisputed goat in the marathon. And I think, you know, even though he doesn't have all that depth of performances that Bikaley has, there's something about the grace and the power and the consistency 
and the wisdom and the he's like a he's like a guru. He's like this spiritual master exactly. who's actually competing at the highest level. Um, you know, I wrote a piece recently called Be- uh, "Run a Beautiful Race," and you know the 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 inspiration for that piece is absolutely Kipchoge. And I argue basically that hey, your your goal time is ruining your experience of racing. And I got a lot of responses that said, okay, but how do I do it differently? And I'll be writing about that. But the most important thing is that you you have a model because Kipchoge is not racing that clock. He is racing to run the most beautiful race he can possibly run because he said it over and over again. And if you can, And if you need a model for doing it, that's the model. He just wants to squeeze every single thing he can get out of himself. And whatever the number says on the clock, he takes. Now, that might be a little different for that sub two-hour goal. That was a little bit of a different beast. But still, he approached it in the only way that he could, which is to operate in the race itself, not off of a click time, 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 time. All those other things were taken care of for him. You know, that was a, that was a great gift. But it showed how Kipchoge operates, which is he dials into his own felt sense, finds the edge of what he can possibly do and dances on that edge, just stays right on the edge of what he can do. And if it turns out that he ends up getting a world record or wins the race or whatever happens, so be it. But he is, I think we, when it's all said and done, I do believe Ilya Kipchoge will be considered the greatest of all time, but he will still be underestimated. I still think his, what he's doing right now is so far beyond what we've ever seen in the marathon that the only person that's even been able to get anywhere close is the greatest distance runner of all time in Bekele. See, but yeah. So really the Kipchoge is, is this our inspiration for this woo thing. Cause you know, we look at him physically and we see this beautiful man running and then like okay you pause you think okay it's clearly not just physical because everyone says you know the distance running is more mental than physical and then like okay so what is this mental and then we start talking like oh what is he thinking nothing oh he's smiling look his mouth is closed does he breathing through his nose I guess he is, but he never says he is, but he looks like he is. Okay, look at his feet. He, he just pushes this perfectly. Like, you know, it's just like your mind starts going and going and you're like, oh, it's suddenly, woo. but you know, it will be so far. I mean, maybe one day he will tell us all, but maybe he just, he just don't. Maybe we just, we just have to figure out on our own, right? That's his thing is like you, you run beautiful race. What does that mean? Figure it out, right? Yes, it's up to you. And and the beautiful race is your own because it doesn't really matter right. what anybody else's beautiful race is at the end of the day because all that stuff is arbitrary unless you're the absolute greatest of the great. But even then, what is Kipchoge doing? It's entertainment, people. Yeah, This is an art form, okay? It's an art form. There just happens to be a lot of money. Just like when you go to a really, really fancy museum and the, you see something on the wall that looks like your five-year-old daughter could have painted all over the thing and it's selling for millions of dollars. Guess what? There's something there that we resonate with, that we roll with. And so the the winning is a wonderful thing. But for the rest of us, what we should be emulating with Kipchoge is more this concept of what's going on internally with the beautiful race. Mm-hmm. And that he stated this as his main objective. 
that this is his main reason for running. Each time he gets on a starting line, he wants to run a beautiful race. I, I don't know how it gets any more beautiful than that. To me, that's a mic drop. To me, it's <laughs> like, not only do I get, I get excited about all these other guys doing all these other things, all these girls, women doing all this stuff, but nobody is preaching a gospel of running like Ilya Kipchoge is. And no one has ever preached a gospel of running the way that Kipchoge is. Not only is he the highest practitioner of the sport of marathoning, he is the highest elite, highest evolved human in our sport by, by, a, by a degree that I can tell that looks absolutely different. Because Bekele, who's the other great, he's worried about business. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he's focused on business. That's why he's so that's why he's so up and down because he's, he's, he's concerned with the affairs of the world. Ilya Kipchoge is in the world, but not of the world. He is operating at a spiritual level that I think Tomek and I deeply appreciate. And we hope you're gonna get some of that shit through this podcast. We're gonna talk about stuff like yeah. that. But it, it is an important part of what we think about But this, but it doesn't mean that we're not gonna get all excited about sit in front of our TVs over the next couple of hours watching the NCAA championships and see what happens. We've got Carosa, uh, the Carosa kid who was the 800 meter, um, who ran that amazing 800 meter leg. He's gonna be in the in the mile. Um, his teammate who he, who he traded wins with um, is gonna be in the 800. And then Pete has another guy who we just talked about who just anchored that DMR unbelievably. He's gonna be in the 3K going toe to toe with Noor. So we will see, and, and five other guys that we haven't even talked about yet who probably are the people who could make an Olympic team. So super exciting time in track and field these days. Yeah, yeah. And the next week, uh, the, the you know, Barrega, which is, <laughs> I love watching this guy. He's like a, like a fighter, a little rooster, you know? <laughs> he is, and he loves to kick. <laughs> he yeah, he's the one who took, he, and he, he, he punked Cheptegei, my favorite. He punked him at the Olympics. Yeah. guy came back and got his gold medal, but he got punked by him. And, and we, and you, I remember when we both talked about that, we were like, and both of us were like, oh, we don't like it. We don't like Borrega. We don't like Borrega. But he, like you said, he's a bantam rooster. He just gets in there and he gets, he gets what he needs to get. And he gets out and he's, and he's done. He's done that over and over again where he, he steals races in the end. Although that race, that Olympic 10,000 meters, he stole that race early. And everybody fell asleep. And Cheptegei wasn't operating on all cylinders that day. He was he had had a bad cycle going in. Luckily, he turned it around in that 5K, got that Olympic gold medal. And um, again, more stuff to talk about. But yes. we probably should <laughs> shut it down for today, T. And um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you will uh, keep listening because we're going to keep talking. Take care, y'all.